Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Welcome to the NFL Stock Exchange Podcast. In this episode, we are updating the 2023 NFL Draft Order post-week 14 in the NFL. We're going 1-31. through 31. Shout out to the Miami Dolphins who uh, forfeited their selection, so we don't have 32 picks. But we're telling you what order each team is picking right now with four weeks to go in the season. We're telling you how likely it might be that they might be picking around that area and some draft strategies if they are. We're talking about how Seattle might hold the keys to the draft if the draft order ends like this. And plus... What are the Arizona Cardinals going to do now that Kyler Murray is hurt? Plus, we're looking at some updated underclassmen who declared for the 2023 NFL Draft and giving our early thoughts of that and how they impact the class. So much more. I'm Trevor Sycamore. With me, as always, is Connor Rogers. Let's ring the bell. Welcome to the opening bell of the NFL Stock Exchange Podcast. I'm Trevor Sikama. That is Connor Rogers. Middle of the week, it is Wednesday, which means it's time to update the 2023 NFL Draft. We'll be going 1 through 31, not 32. Shout out to the Miami Dolphins, who don't have a pick, forfeited a pick, so now we only have 31 selections. We're going to be going up and down the list, telling you who is slotted where with only four weeks left to go in the regular season. Connor, it's getting to crunch time, my guy. It is getting to crunch time in the order. I'm excited Because a lot of this stuff, it's not just total imagination anymore. It's not just like, oh, what if this pig team were to pick in the top 10? Now it's more like, hey, you should probably plan on this team picking in the top 10. So the more solidified the order it gets, the more clear the picture we get for where some of these prospects are going to land. But I'm excited to talk about it, buddy. Me too. This is really the time of year where you can start to think you could dream big. Some of the blue chip players from the class, you could start nailing down a couple landing spots here, a couple landing spots there. And you start to look at scenarios, right? This is a situation where, you know, Russell Wilson actually got hurt this week. I don't know how long he's going to be out, but that Denver pick that is controlled by Seattle is the number two pick in the draft while we sit here today. So those things matter so much. You look at some schedules. I know you and I specifically are going to dive pretty deep on Arizona today because Arizona is one of the most fascinating offseason teams in the entire NFL as well. So And we say this every week, but we, I mean, the team picking 14th has five wins. The team picking fourth has four wins. So the scramble that could happen down the stretch here in December is crazy. It's huge. It's definitely, it is huge. It's going to be like a mini fix your team. I feel like when we get to the Cardinals, because that's something that we really wanted to touch on. Obviously, it really sucks to report this, but Kyler Murray towards ACL on Monday night, this past Monday, And that goes into what's going to happen with the Cardinals moving forward. I mean, we were already kind of sketchy about the decisions maker, the decision makers there and the current structure and regime that they had, whether it was um, time to make some changes. I think that we figured it was, but I unfortunately believe the Kyler Murray's injury is going to accelerate some of those things. So we'll dig into that. We're also going to throw a handful more prospects. You guys way that have officially declared for the 2023 NFL draft. So we'll give you some uh, underclassmen that have put their name in the hat. If you will, we'll discuss kind of what we think about them, what we thought during summer scouting and um, what it means for them to be in the draft class, I think as a whole, but uh, let's start with this draft order. Uh, I'll read off the top 10. And then we can just kind of like pause. Let's talk, I guess, a little bit about the teams that are in the top five before we jump into the Arizona Cardinals. But Houston Texans put up one hell of a fight against the Dallas Cowboys this past weekend. But ultimately, they fell short 11 or 11 and one is their record. So they still hold the number one overall pick. It looks like they're going to be picking up the top when it's all said and done. Seattle Seahawks, you mentioned it. 
currently picking number two overall. They've got a playoff spot, and they are number two overall because of that trade for Russell Wilson. That's the Denver Broncos' original pick. Chicago Bears still sitting there in the top three at number three overall. Detroit Lions, for as much success as they're having, maybe the hottest team in the NFC, they still have a top five pick. They've got the Rams pick there. Uh, last uh, little portion of the Jared Goff trade at number four overall. Philadelphia Eagles, speaking of teams that are on a roll with a top five pick, best record in the NFL, and yet here they are sitting with New Orleans spot at number five. Arizona, we're going to dive into. They're picking at number six. Indianapolis, Connor, finally making their way up or down the draft board, however you want to say it, at number seven overall. Las Vegas is there at number eight. Carolina at number nine, and then fellow NFC South team, the Atlanta Falcons at number eight. 10 where do you want to start here with this uh with this top 10 man i think we do a lot of eagles and lions every week even bears let's have the conversation if seattle picked it too right because i don't think we have i don't think we've done this since maybe we did a mock draft or i think the only mock one of the only mock drafts or maybe the only mock draft we did before the season started and a lot of our conversations were focused around the idea of Seattle needing a franchise quarterback. And nobody saw this kind of significant progress from Geno Smith this year. And I feel pretty comfortable thinking that Seattle's going to do everything they can to, to keep Geno there for a long time. I don't know what that contract will look like. Will it be a Ryan Tannehill level contract? Will it be smaller? We don't know. But it's enough for me, Trevor, to think that if they had the number two overall pick in the draft, it would not be on a quarterback because they feel pretty good about the guy they have under center. Mm-hmm. And then it raises the question of what do they look to do? They made significant investments in the offensive line in last year's draft. It worked out really well to pair that they have Kenneth Walker running behind them. Who's been banged up this year, but really good when healthy. I look at the Seattle team and think them picking number two overall is a dream scenario in this draft because what they need is help up front in the form of a Will Anderson, Jalen Carter. I think I would campaign harder for Will Anderson. They've missed on a couple edge rushers in previous years, but they've never had the opportunity to draft one with the skill set of Will Anderson. But they did have they do have Boye Mafe, right? And sure. Mafe, let me not that that's a reason why you didn't No, no. They, yeah. You don't pick Will Anderson, but Mafe, I'm looking up his mock draftable right now. So he's six three 260. It's actually bigger than I thought. I didn't think he was going to be 260. Was he lighter at Minnesota? He had to have been lighter at Minnesota. Where am I getting this from? Let me see. I'm talking out loud here on my own podcast. He's just so twitchy at that size that he never looks 260 plus. I know. Maybe I just thought he was. Maybe I just thought he was leaner. Okay. Minnesota does not have the height and weight on the bio. What are we doing? It's I've noticed that with a couple of schools. This I know you're going to lie to me anyways, but come yeah. on, give me yeah. something here. So, all right. I thought that Mafe was a little bit lighter. So I was saying to myself like, oh, well, are they going to want two light edge guys? Maybe that would steer them away from it. But here we go. Let me, let me throw out a scenario to you, Connor. Okay. Will Anderson would be a phenomenal pick. I think for the Seattle Seahawks, Jalen Carter, George defensive oh, yeah. lineman also would be a phenomenal pick for the Seattle Seahawks. Trade back from number two. Now, I wonder what the quarterback market's going to end up being, how strong of a prospect C.J. Stroud is, how strong of a prospect Will Levis is. I I don't think we're going to get to this point, but how strong of a prospect Anthony Richardson would be, right? I'm just spitting balling. If the quarterback market is strong enough at number two overall, trading back could look very tempting for Seattle. And my question to you is, this how much they nailed last draft from the very top to what it feels like the very bottom. Give them faith to say, okay, we'd be passing on Will Anderson or Jalen Carter, but we have faith in our scouting staff, in the guys that we like, in the board that we set up to think that we could drop back from, say, two to eight, get an extra first-round pick next year or whatever it's going to be, Still love the player we're going to get at number eight and love the rest of the draft that we're going to have as well because I believe they have two first, two second-round picks too. So does last year's draft success go into the temptation of trading down from number two overall if you're Seattle? What do you think? I say no. And the reason I say no is because I think this defense needs some stars. And I think you get to the point of the draft where quickly on the defensive side of the ball, 
that you run out of the territory where you're not getting blue chippers anymore. And I agree with you, Trevor. They have found really nice players, Tariq Woolen included. I, I don't know if Tariq Woolen is going to be a star. He's definitely been one of the better rookies in this class, and he looks like he can absolutely become one on a down-by-down basis. I, for me, I just would not pass up one of Anderson or Carter for this front. And I, I get it. You make a compelling case. They can get a ton of picks, but they've had a lot of picks. And we'll see what they do in free agency as well and how that impacts that. But I just look at this front once again that they're interesting, right? You, you brought up a Boye Mafe, Daryl Taylor, who has quite a few strip sacks this year. They have Puna Ford in the middle, who's you know a, a big space-eating kind of guy. Mm-hmm. I, I think they need the dude. I, I think they need a wrecker. And... I think that comes in the form of one of those two guys, depending on how they view the development of their young edges um, or just how they grade the players as a whole between Carter and Anderson. But for Seattle, for me, I think they're actually at the point of the roster where they just need that household name on defense and it would be staring them right in the face. And I think that that's totally fair. I, I think I'd be more tempted than it sounds like you are to 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 take the chance yeah. on it, especially if it's a quarterback that somebody is trading up for, right? If they're moving down from number two, it can get talk, crazy. Yeah, we, you're talk, right. we talked about this with Chicago, I think a couple of weeks ago, how they could potentially control the draft. If you look at the draft order, let's say the draft were this weekend. Seattle's sitting there picking at number two overall. You've got Indianapolis at seven, potentially Vegas at eight. Carolina sitting there at nine, maybe Atlanta at 10. But like those are three, potentially four teams that are sitting there that would move up for a quarterback, you'd think. Three teams, two teams for sure need one in the Indianapolis Colts and the uh, Carolina Panthers. Those are picks seven and nine. If you're Seattle, you could be sitting here, move down to seven, move down to nine. There's a good chance that you could get one of Brian Brzee, Miles Murphy, Jared Verse, right? Like those guys that you would really want anyways. Now, are they as good as a Will Anderson or a Jalen Carter? No, I think there's a reason why those two guys are going to be picked well ahead of those players. But what's the gap? Are you okay with that? If your scouts sign off on a lot of these guys, you can sit here, trade back, and especially if it's for a quarterback, get yourself extra draft capital next year. You're already seeing the dividends pay off of making an, a deal to get an extra first-round pick, and what that could potentially be could still be a strong first-round pick, even with these two teams going up to get a rookie because it's probably not going to be Bryce Young that they're going up to get at number two. So all of these things I think would be floating in my head of, of what you could potentially do in the draft. And when I think about Seattle, when I think about how they, they nailed it with so many prospects last year, having faith in that staff to get those guys back in and continuing to stockpile picks, man, the draft first and foremost is about getting good football players on your football team. Okay. The higher you pick, the better chance you have at that. But it is still a bit of a crapshoot. And something that I love about the draft is it's also a game. It's a chess game. It's a long game as much as it is a short-term game too. So you never want to outthink yourself. You don't want to, you don't want to play yourself, if you will. But if I'm Seattle and they're picking number two when it's all said and done, I'd be real tempted given how much success they had last year in the draft to move down and get some extra draft capital. Never hurts, especially answering the phone and seeing teams bid against each other and see how much you could squeeze out of it to move a certain amount of spots. I just, I look at Pete Carroll. He's going to be 72 years old next year coaching in the NFL. I think I would just want that superstar. And you you just go with your evaluations, right? If you think Jalen Carter or Will Anderson are going to be all pro players, some of the best players at their position, I think you sit there and take them. If you think they're above average players and the next guy is closer to them than you expected. Then you think about moving back and just stockpiling yep. an entire roster. So it's it's tricky, right? It's the ebbs and flow of the draft and, and what you need and volume versus uh, quantity versus quality, of course, and how that ultimately shakes out. So I think ultimately my takeaway is, you know, and I've said this on the Sunday night show when I said Seattle's really not going to go anywhere with this defense. It's hard not to love how Seattle has positioned themselves when things looked kind of grim after the Russell Wilson trade and mm. Jamal Adams trade that wasn't right. really the best look for their GM in terms of what they gave up and the money they gave him and his he's back he got hurt. So I think Seattle's in a really, really unique position uh, for success going forward. How long is Jamal still under contract? 
think three more years. Oh yeah, okay. So they that got was him a for monster. A while. That was a monster. That deal. oh man, this contract kind of sucks. Yeah, he's it's not he's really he's movable. For sure, he's for yeah. sure on the team next year because you can't get any money if you cut him. Basically, next two. Well, you could save nine million if you cut him in twenty twenty four. Yeah, but you're eating fourteen million dead money plus on Jamal Adams. Well, either that or you're spending twenty three mil on the cap for a safety. Oh man, that's well. We'll <laughs> that's see what tough. happens. He that's needs tough. a big. He needs just, a big year next year to justify that cap hit. I'm just thinking about it because you know, hopefully Jamal Adams can come back and play really well. And if you get Jamal Adams coming back playing really well, that's all of a sudden a really nice secondary piece, right? You got Kobe on one side, you got Tariq on the other. You get Jamal Adams in, in the in the secondary or sorry, at the safety level, then like if you put yourself, in, if you put a Will Anderson on one side, boy, Mafe on the other, like now we're talking. Like that's a that could be a quick turnaround for that defense, and this team could even be more complete next year. So anyways, just wanted to have that conversation about Seattle. Feels no like the number two pick uh, is going to be fun no matter, no matter who has it. You want to travel down to number six then? You want to talk yeah, about the Arizona time. Cardinals? Arizona Cardinals sitting here at four and nine after dropping one at home to the New England Patriots on Monday Night Football, but much more damaging than the singular loss was losing Kyler Murray to an injury like a torn ACL. It basically means he's not going to be available for probably the first month of next season, best case scenario, right? We're probably talking about Kyler Murray not even being able to suit up for you um, till after week four or five. I mean, this is just an injury that we've seen guys come back really fast from, but that's stuff that, I don't know if you could bet on, right? And so much of what Kyler brings to the table for Arizona comes with that athletic ability. And that's something that you cannot rush that back. And we've, you know, we've heard from people who have torn their ACLs before who would even tell you, like, look, even the first whole year back, yeah, I didn't get re injured. I didn't re injure yep. it, but that was almost like a confidence building year. So you might be. I don't want to play gloom and doom here, but you got to play realistic with it. Like you might be two years away from Kyler Murray, even getting back on the field the way that you would want him to as a franchise caliber player. So if that's the case with the scenario being what it is now, Connor, they have the number six overall pick. It's been a disappointing year Four nine is their record. What is your outlook for the Cardinals now? What conversation are we having with the Cardinals? It's brutal. It's one of the toughest places to be. This is a team that has taken on a ton of money in the form of older players to try to keep going in. They have an NFL coach that it feels inevitable that he's not going to be there very long, despite being extended recently. And I want to be fair here. This is not, I see everybody piling on Cliff Kingsbury. This is a collective effort from Arizona. Everything is wrong there right now. And you're the head coach. A lot of it starts with you. They're such a fascinating team, Trevor, because realistically they won't have their star quarterback on the field next year, maybe until God, I think the positive outlook is November. I want to say, honestly, yeah, we'll see what, if Kyler Murray does the, the prehab, right. The rehab before surgery, which can accelerate the recovery after I know that's become a popular move in NFL circles and how that'll affect his recovery. Kyler Murray is under contract pretty confidently until 2027. When you look at the dead money, the dead money is above $20 million. Uh, just real quick. We've done this before. 96.5 next year, 81.5 the year after that, 33.2, 20.2 in 2026, and 7.2 in 2027. So Kyler Murray is there to stay. I cannot with confidence say that about Cliff Kingsbury or Steve Kime. I and, shouldn't, yeah. But... The problem we're going to run into here, we know Kime's relationship with the Bidwell family. He's been the GM of the team since 2013. There's obviously some long-term relationship aspects here. Kime, after um, he, you know, he played in college and then he had a cup of coffee with the Dolphins and a cup of coffee in the CFL. He became a regional scout with the Cardinals in 1999 and is kind of the scouting American dream story. I mean, you're talking about an area scout in 1999, gets promoted to director of college scouting in 2006. So that's almost a decade of being an area scout and then getting promoted to director, then gets promoted to director of player personnel in 2008, VP of player personnel, which is usually the step before GM in 2012, takes over as GM in 2013. He's had the job ever since. 
So there's obviously some longstanding relationships with owners here that has played into Kime being here this long while the team has not effectively built a roster that can be a sustainable winner. And the other area here, Trevor, is Kime is now under contract 2027. Is this going to be an area that Kime gets another shot to build this thing while they're going through Kyler's rehab and hire a new coach? Or is this a situation for ownership in Arizona that despite a lot of money dumped into extensions for the next half decade on the GM and head coach, that they blow the entire thing up? I feel like it's a money conversation at this point, because if you look at it in a vacuum of performance, I think you fire everyone involved, right? I think years ago. Yeah. Well, sure. But like at this point, it kind of just is what it is, but this is their worst record yet, right? Like this is their worst showing yet. So I think you move on from Cliff Kingsbury, you move on from Steve Kime, you completely change things around in Arizona. Um, You sell whoever is getting this job, the, security maybe i should put this in air quotes because security is is not really a thing in the nfl unless you just win but you basically say like hey it's a three-year plan minimum because next year you're going to get kyler back probably for the last two months of the season but even then it's probably just a confidence building thing you you have these free agents where let me make sure i pull this up and i got these guys right these are free agents that they have coming up J.J. Watt's a free agent. Rodney Hudson's a free agent. Justin Pugh's a free agent. A.J. Green's a free agent. Kelvin Beecham's a free agent. Byron Murphy's a free agent. Cody Ford's a free agent. So, I mean, there's a... Shoot, Billy Price a free agent. God damn, their whole offensive line, basically. That's a good thing. They have Beecham starting at this point. They have Max Garcia starting at this point. He's also a free agent. Billy Price a free agent. Cody Ford's a free agent. Wow. they're all. I think they're in their entire offensive line at this point is free agents. Now they're going to be able to bring some of them back. I think they have, what is this here? The 12th most projected cap because of everybody that's going to be a free agent. So they've got 20 million to spend in free agency. So they could bring some of those guys back, but you know, you're at the point with Arizona where how much of what has been built is worth salvaging, right? How many GMs are going to come into Arizona and go, hell yeah, love the roster. Let's do it. I don't think there's that many. Cause I don't think there are that many that would have made the decisions that Steve Kimes made. I'll say specifically over the last like two to three years with signing guys and with, uh, um, with drafting certain players. So if that's the case, if you're looking to totally rebuild, if you want to get a lot younger, if you want to try to slingshot a young winning window into when Kyler Murray gets to come back, you're also probably looking at moving on from Deandre Hopkins, right? Deandre Hopkins is, let me find this contract. He's it's pretty 30, pretty bad. He, he's 30 right now. Okay. He was 15 mil on the cap this year. It jumps to 30.7 mil on the cap next year. And he's 31 years old. You're not going to have Kyler Murray. It's going to be a complete waste of a year. 2024, then he is 26.2 on the cap. But if you cut him in 2023, it's only 11 mil in dead money. And you save $19 million on the cap for the way that DeAndre Hopkins' contract is currently structured. Now, one could say, you don't have to cut DeAndre Hopkins. He's still a really good wide receiver. You could trade him. If they trade him, obviously, it's it's kind of the same thing. You're just getting to move on from his contract. And if you can find a trade partner, sure. I guess like a fifth-round pick would be better than cutting him. But my question is, who's trading for DeAndre Hopkins getting $30 mil on the cap? No one. No Not one. a lot of people. <laughs> Not a lot of teams, if any teams. So if anybody's trading for Hopkins, they would basically be having to trade for him and then restructure the deal or potentially extend it a little bit to move some money around and make it a lot more manageable to probably where he's averaging $20 million a year, if you can get it down to that. So, but at that point, you know, the end of the contract would be he'd be like 34, 35. So I just don't know how many teams are doing that. So if you're Arizona, I'm basically looking at a situation where you're probably not bringing most of your offensive line back. I mean, a lot of these guys have not played really well. DJ Humphreys is your left tackle still, at least for another year before his contract's movable at all. I think Rodney Hudson's a good player. I know he's hurt, but 
Um, Cardinals fans can correct me if if I'm wrong there, but I've I've thought that Rodney Hudson's still a really good player, even when they got him from the Raiders. I thought he was a really good player. So I think that you bring him back. You've obviously got Josh Jones as well, who they drafted in the third round not too long ago, but I think you're going to need some new life on the interior. You're going to need some youth on the interior. And I think that's ultimately where my eyes go when it comes to this number six overall pick. No, offensive line, man. That's the way I feel about the Cardinals. It's got to be something along the offensive line. And I, I've read up on this and I've, I've, I've read a couple of people who say like, hey, it has to be defense, has to be defense, has to be defense. I think it has to be offensive line, to be honest. That's just where my mind goes, looking at the free agents, looking at their current situation. Um, and that's kind of like I, a Skaronsky level prospect. Yeah, like of, a course, of course. Of course. pick. Yes, because Skaronsky, if he's not a tackle for you, which I still believe that Skaronsky can be a tackle. He is a damn good offensive guard for you. So Skaronsky, you, you're you getting a starter no matter what if you are drafting him right there. And shoot, you might get DJ Humphreys on the left side, and maybe you get Skaronsky to play on the right side. Maybe you can either kick Josh Jones inside or whatever. Or maybe it's just like, hey, we want our tackles to be better. But Skaronsky would be the perfect fit for them, I think. That's just the way that I see the Cardinals right now, their current cap situation. I think the Cardinals, and I've felt this way for a little bit, but – what kind of happened this week with the loss and then losing Kyler Murray reinforces this. They're a lot closer to a rebuilding team than they are a contending team. And I think they've been fooling themselves a little bit um, with how they've acquired players that they were closer than they really were. Um, And I think it's all just coming to a head now. So that's where I see the Cardinals. So I want to throw two things at you. Mm -hmm. First is keep in mind, both Kime and Cliff are on extensions through the 2027 season. It is not even 2023 here. I want to throw two things at you. One, the first thing, I will read you Steve Kimes' first-round pick since he got the job. Jonathan Cooper. Okay. Dion Buchanan. Okay. DJ Humphreys. Robert Kimdiche. Hassan Reddick. Josh Rosen. Kyler Murray. Isaiah Simmons. Zayvon Collins. No first rounder in 2022. They traded it for Hollywood Brown. Does and that's bad. And, and that's bad. And that's bad. Remember. Top 10 pick. Remember. That is that's, bad. Yes, that's bad. Awful. awful use of resources. Yeah, he should not be. He can't be making this pick. He can't be making this pick. The only salvageable one is Humphreys. Um, and I mean, we, I mean, we could be honest, right? Like, Rosen was not even really seen as this like potential major bust of a player. Yeah. And so I, 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 they needed a quarterback at the time. I don't hate I would have made pick. that mistake. Right. Rosen was my QB was my QB one that year. And I just think that it didn't, it just, it fell apart for Rosen. It for a lot for of Rosen. reasons. So, it did not work. Right. And so like, I, even that one, look, you're taking a swing at the bat at a quarterback it's the other ones for me, but it's 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 just hard to look at that entire tenure of first round picks and have any faith that they're going to make the right move in the top ten. I don't think they are. All right, so question number two. Yeah, does Kyler Kyler's season ending injury and maybe season costing injury for two thousand twenty three mm-hmm. increase the likelihood that Cliff gets two thousand twenty three? He no. might he's under contract. Till 2027. Are you going to... Do you think this job is remotely, remotely attractive this offseason for this roster without Kyler Murray? And this is an ownership group that I don't know if they're going to pay two guys for five years to not work for them. Well, so the cash question is the biggest question, right? It's, Which it's how we, we can't st- answer. We yep. started this conversation. Like, are they going to make the move to open up? Because you can't just go like foot in the water about it. You can't just be like, okay, we're going to dip our toe in the water and fire Cliff, but we're going to, we're going to, we're going to keep. That's the um, worst thing they could do. We're going to keep Kime or even like the other way around, like saying like, yeah, oh, right. we're going to, we're going to, we're going to keep cliff and we're going to fire kime or we're going to we're going to keep kime we're going to fire cliff either one's bad so when you ask how attractive is this arizona cardinals job if you go full rebuild if you actually be honest about where you are this becomes an attractive job 
because a lot of their old contracts, not all of them, but a lot of their old contracts, the ones with vets, are done this free agency period and or are movable immediately next year as well. If you trade DeAndre Hopkins, if you acquire more draft picks, if you tell somebody that you have a top eight overall pick, you get to, I I guess, like go hand in hand with the GM. And it's obviously going to be a good relationship because they're probably going to hire the GM, at least they should hire the GM first. And then the GM is going to be able to handpick their, 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 uh, their, their head coach there. So all of that to say like that stuff should make the job really attractive because it's flexible. They're not, the Cardinals have two ways they can go here. They can either be really stubborn about it and they can keep this rostered very mid or they can be honest with themselves where they need to go, that they're a lot close to a rebuild, fully lean into that rebuild. And then all of a sudden this job becomes to me really flexible. A lot of flexible contracts, things you can either get out of, like I said, this offseason or immediately next offseason as well. You could basically have your fingerprints over this entire team for a three-year plan moving forward. So look, if ownership has the money to make a clean sweep, they should. And that's the best way to do it. But I wonder if they will. I don't know. So this is my golden question. Golden question. What do you think? What do you think about that? What do, you, what do you think about your own question? I, there's this weird, weird part of me that thinks they're going to r- run this thing back next year. I It's just the contract extensions being into 2027. It's a lot of money. I just, I don't know. I don't, I think if Kyler was healthy, knowing how vocal he is, how much money they're paying him, how integral he is to the future success of the Arizona organization. I think they might pull the plug and get an entirely new group in there to surround him with better talent and better coaching. Yeah, but do you, I, I agree with you, but I also think that him being hurt doesn't hurt your case there. It doesn't really hurt the case you're making. Right, yeah, rich, like it, rich people operate a lo- just very odd ways. Like it's not like you know Kyler's not dead. You know, like no. he's st- he, he's still going to go into the offseason, and I think I think he's still going to be vocal. If ownership goes yeah. to Kyler privately and says, "What do you think?" I think that he would still say the same things that you're saying right now. But that's that's just my opinion. I don't. Yeah, think, in I that case, think- then they have to they have to entirely blow this thing up and get a GM and head coach that are going to work together and come in there. So when Kyler's back the talent and the momentum is in the right direction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, we'll well, round out. Do. We'll yeah. round out the draft order um, just so we can comment on any of these picks outside of the top 10 as well. Jacksonville's got pick number 11, Houston, number 12, via the Cleveland Browns, Pittsburgh sitting there at 13, Green Bay at 14, Detroit at 15. Man, Detroit's playing well and they still got two top 15 picks. Chargers at 16, uh, Seattle. Now it's 17. Oh, they're not in the playoffs right now. Oh no! Mm, no, no, no! Them Take and it. the Jets are both on the outside. Wow! Seattle's in there at seventeen. Jets are sitting there at eighteen. Bucks are sitting there at nineteen. Playoff spot, baby! Titans at twenty. New England Patriots with their win on Monday Night Football that vaulted them into a playoff spot at number twenty-one. Then it's the Commanders twenty-two, Giants twenty-three, Miami's forfeited pick at twenty-four. Denver Broncos at 25 because of their uh, trade for Bradley Chubb. Baltimore at 26, Cincinnati 27. Dallas Cowboys at 28, Kansas City 29, Minnesota 30, Buffalo 31, and the Philadelphia Eagles picking at 32. Anything stand out? Anything from uh, 11 to 32? Man, it's tricky right now because this is so volatile, this order. We have teams dipping in and out of the back end of the playoff seating. Obviously, Houston's going to be an interesting team, but we talk a lot about them. I want Jacksonville to win the division. I want Jacksonville. I just want Jacksonville to get into the wild card, man. I want to see it. They're only two games back right now, the Titans. Titans look awful. Jags are currently picking 11, and and there's a world where they could be picking like 19 or 20. uh, There is a very odd world where Jacksonville in the final week of the season, is playing Tennessee for the division. Oh, do they play week 18? Yeah, they play week 18 at, ja- at Duval. Okay, how, <laughs> how likely is that? Now, th- their road's tough. 
They have the Cowboys, Jets, then the Texans, who are spunky. I'm not doing the whole the Texans are the runover team anymore. They're no, a little they're not. annoying. They're clearly not. They're clearly not. They're a little annoying. So do we think Jacksonville can rip off all three of those before they meet Tennessee? Maybe. Mm. They have a shot. It's just not yeah. very it's just not highly likely. Yeah. I don't think so yeah. either. I, I think your Bucks are fascinating. Like, are the Bucks going to be the team that dips into that quarterback water at the back end of the first round? I hope. Yeah. Anthony are, Richardson, they the, baby. are they the Anthony Richardson spot? I don't know who's going to sell be. that to the Tampa fans, right? I don't know who their offensive coordinator is going to be, but uh, head coach. So many questions. I think the head coach is still going to be Todd Bowles, but no, wow. the what the Buccaneers are going to do is obviously going to be. Uh, it's it's going to be fascinating to follow because what happens at the quarterback position, right? Their their QB two the entire year has been Blaine Gabbert simply for the experience, but it's not like you're you're handing the reins of this team to Blaine Gabbert if Tom Brady either retires or goes elsewhere, right? And then you look elsewhere, you go, oh well, they drafted Kyle Trask in the second round not too long ago, sure, but he's been a healthy scratch like every game, so it's not like they've even taken him seriously at this point. No. So would you would you really go into next season either starting Blaine Gabbert or Kyle Trask? Probably not. I tell. <laughs> I, w- I would tell you that no matter what, if Brady is not there, Tampa's next starting quarterback's not on the roster. They're either trading for a veteran, like a Jimmy G or something like that, or they're going to draft one in the first round and, and they're going to be the quarterback. That's right. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. They could definitely do the... There's a chance that Tampa's quarterback room involves nobody currently on the team next year. Right. They can they can absolutely be vet draft pick together. I wonder if the Bucks are going to be in on Will Levis. I think he doesn't get to them. No, no, no. I, I know, but like how high does Will Levis go? Because Jason Light, their general manager, is not one to trade a lot of his draft picks to move up. Why? Because mm-hmm. Jason loves the draft. It's I mean, it's his favorite thing to do. But I do feel like every GM gets that itch to make a major like trade up trade. And I don't feel like the Bucks have done that in his tenure. So would this be the time to do it? Right when you have the roster the way it is, when you're hopefully a lot more healthy next year, if Tom Brady goes elsewhere, are you sitting there at? Let's even let's even say they they win the division. Let's even say they're they're picking at 19, and they look at uh, whoever's picking at number 10, and they go, "We'll give you a first round pick next year and an extra day two pick as well, whatever it is. Get us up to number 10 if Will Levis slides to 10." I don't know, man. These are just things that are fascinating to think about. Bucks have never really done that in their tenure before with Jason Light, but maybe they could. Um, maybe I don't, I don't know. They are they're definitely one of the interesting players. I look at Levis and just think, wherever he goes, I cannot see him getting by the Colts. I can't see. Yeah, it. I mean that's probably that's a good that's a good. Point. They're at seven right now. They could be picking higher. If I could, if I could bet on Will Levis going to the Colts today, knowing the odds would just be completely in the public's favor at this very moment. You'd be looking at like plus 500 that launched today. I would, I would put a hundred dollars on it. Yeah. Gambling, gambling man over here. If you, if I you mean, guys, if you guys want to put a hundred dollars somewhere else, you got to hit up our friends over at bro throw. Look at the transitions, baby. That's what it is all about. Boom. We got a new sponsor. For today's podcast, it's our friends over at Bro Throw. If you guys ever bet on sports with your friends, sitting on the couch, you're watching a game, you say, hey, bet he makes this throw. Hey, I bet this team wins. Well, now there's an app where you can do that with anybody. Bro Throw is the only sports betting platform that lets you bet directly with friends in all 50 states. No fees, no juice, no middleman involved. Bro Throw is not a sports book, okay? And not paying juice saves you a ton of money over time. When I say juice, I mean that you got to play an extra dollar to give it to the books just to place your bet, right? If you want to put $20, $20 on the line, you got to bet 21 because the books got to take theirs. It's not a bro throw. Bro throw is a social platform. Take control of who you bet with. Know who's on the other side of every bet you create or accept. You can easily create and accept bets, easily track your profits and payments, and always see the value of your bets right in front of you. You don't have to deposit money in a bro throw account either. Bettors pay each other directly by connecting their Venmo, Cash App, PayPal, Skrill, Strike, whatever. Betting $11 to win 10 stinks. All right. With Bro Throw, you bet 10, you win 10. It's as simple as shaking somebody's hand and watching what happens as you guys are at a bar watching the game. Throw out your first bet. Go to brothrow.com backslash stock. 
Use the promo code S-T-O-C-K when you guys sign up. Bro Throw is free to sign up for. Cut out the middleman. Start betting. And you can start betting with people who listen to this podcast, so fellow sex addicts. That is brothrow.com backslash stock. You guys got to get into it. Uh, anything else on the draft order before we hit some underclassmen declarations? What do you got? I just got a good chuckle out of fellow sex addicts. Yeah, fellow sex addicts. <laughs> um, oof, No, I think I think, I think we covered this one pretty good today. I don't want to get too deep on the, the back end with all those teams in the playoff hunt because I know their fan bases are focused on that. But as they should man, be. as they should be. But there's a lot of different declarations that went down that, you know, we've kind of been waiting on, but will impact the draft pretty heavily. So a handful of names that I've seen over the last week or so that put their name in the draft pool. You just tell me where you want to start. But I got Josh Downs, the wide receiver from UNC, Tank Bigsby, the running back from Auburn, Devonna Chain, uh, the running back from Texas AM, BJ Ojalari, the um pass rusher from LSU, Jalen Jones, the cornerback from Texas AM, Michael Mayer. Uh, one of the best tight ends in the NFL, probably tight end one in this class from Notre Dame. Tanner McKee, the starting quarterback for Stanford, officially putting his name in the hat. Clark Phillips, the corner from Utah. Luke Musgraves, the tight end from Oregon State. And then Parker Washington, the wide receiver for Penn State. Those were the notable guys that I saw over the last week. Connor, anybody that you want to uh, touch on specifically with these guys officially in the draft class? Man, yeah, there's a lot going on here. I mean, obviously, Mayer is going to be fascinating. He's one of the more complete tight ends I've ever evaluated, so no surprise that he enters the draft. Um, Clark Phillips has been my guy since the summer. I've watched a lot of Ojolari since he declared without mm-hmm. giving away our edge show. Ojolari can just simply rush the passer. It's very, very impressive. He has a skill set that's tailor-made to get on the field for passing downs on the NFL very, very early, and he's... I mean, he's a very, very impressive player. A-Chain was a top 30 for player for me over the summer. I think his speed is pretty groundbreaking. Downs has been a part of our stock up show before. I've seen some lofty player comps on Josh. I thought we liked Josh Downs. I've seen some like lofty what? player comps thrown around on Josh Downs that I will not mention yet on this show. I, oh, think, he's okay. a, I think he's a nice, nice slot player in a wide receiver class that doesn't have i'm pulling him right right now in the dock that doesn't have a ton of superstar talent i think well, down- I, w- I would agree with you and that's where you know when i see this list downs and washington putting their name in the hat stands out right to me because there's going to be a lot of debate between i think those three and then you throw jackson smith and jigba there as well there's i wonder if they i wonder if each of those guys kind of like cannibalize each other's stock if you will where it's like okay we'd be happy with any of these guys because they're all slot studs how high do you actually pick them great point Uh, and i i do i do wonder if that's going to be the case with some of these slot players because it seems like you're right i do agree with you we're lacking star studded talent at the wide receiver group doesn't mean it's a terrible class but there's a lot of slot guys to be had so is that just going to are they all going to kind of like turn into one ball, if you will, where you're happy with any of the ones you're getting? I'm very curious. I w- I'm, I'm curious to see how people end up ranking them. Well, let's put it like this, right? I mean, we'll just do last year, and there's been some really impressive wide receiver classes. As it stands today, I wouldn't have any wide receiver in this class over my top five from last year, which was Garrett Wilson, Jamison Williams, Traylon Burks, Drake London, Chris Olave. A single one in this class would be over those five. I would probably have Quentin. Uh, I wasn't the big Traylon. I wasn't the biggest Traylon Burks fan, um, and I was lower on Jahan Dotson. Um, so I would I would have had Quentin Johnston as wide receiver five in last okay. year's class. I would have had Jameson Williams, Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, and Drake London above Quinn Johnston. But man, saying that out loud, it's like, holy cow, if Quinn Johnston would have been wide receiver five, that just shows you how spoiled we were with last year's wide receiver class. What a class. Insane. And then, you, mm-hmm. I mean, you continue to go back. It's a lot of the same. I, man, there's a couple of nice players in this wide receiver class. If you're looking for a superstar. Oh man, no, wait. Would I have had him over Pickens? I totally forgot. Yeah, you were Mr. Pickens. No way. I know, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. No, I don't think I would have. 
Pickens is a see. better version of Johnston. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta find out what my, I gotta remind myself what my final rankings were for wide receiver because I'm trying to think about it and I'm trying not to be hyperbolic with. Uh, Dude, you gotta, you gotta, you go with my jam. This is the lazy man's lazy man's strategy. Yeah, I have my position rankings as my pin tweet until the next draft every year. <laughs> That's smart. Uh, no, I would have had Quentin Johnston as wide receiver six easily. I had JMO number one. I had Drake London number two. I had George Pickens three. I had Gar- or I had uh, Chris Olave four, and I had Garrett Wilson five, which I already said on Monday's show. Like, I did not take Garrett Wilson's short-term expo- or short-area explosiveness as seriously as I should have because that guy's body control is just out of this world good. And I wondered if it would continue to stand out in the NFL, and that was a big question mark that I have, and it absolutely is. And because of that, you're just seeing him absolutely tear it up. If I had to re-rank these now a year later, Kara Wilson might be number one for me. So Quinn Johnson would firmly be wide receiver six for me, but he would be wide receiver six. And that's where the I mean that's where the conversation goes. It's amazing we got there from talking about Josh Downs and Parker Washington declaring and this being a slot class. Um, man, Musgrave's been hurt, but he it just goes to show you how good this tight end class is. I mean, Tucker Craft, Dalton Kincaid. I just it's uh, and obviously Mayer um, declared as well. We we are big Darnell Washington fans. Mm. This is a good tight end class. It's this happens in the draft. It's just the laws of nature. The pendulum always kind of swings back a couple of different ways. We had, I feel like we haven't had a very deep tight end class lately in terms of the top 60 of the draft. Last year's was good. It was deep though from rounds eh, back half of the second round on. This year, I mean, Mayor is going to challenge easily to go in the first round. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 100%. Easily. I mean, he's going to go. I, he's going to go surpri- in the first round. Nothing surprises me anymore with positional value but he he should easily go in the first round i think we get i think we get two in the first round i think darnell goes in the first round you do okay Uh, i think that at this this point in time yeah i would tell you that darnell is probably going to be a very back end of the first round guy like a i think he'll be a top 30 player for me a a contending team at the back end of the first round getting a monster like darnell washington i feel like that's going to be too tempting for whoever like the bottom six teams are at the back end of the first round. I don't know. That's that's just my take here. What are we? December 13th. I think we get two tight ends. Dallas. Yeah, sure. Sure. Yeah. Dallas. I mean, you have Schultz on the tag. Baltimore. I like, like, what's that? Baltimore. How many tight ends can that freaking team take? All All of them. them. And they all, all, if they, if they're starting that week, it feels like they get 100 yards. Weird season for Mark Andrews, though, so far. Very weird season for Mark yep. Andrews. So they got Andrews. They got Josh Oliver. They got Isaiah Likely. Yeah. Charlie Kohler's have... just been chilling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But okay. None of those guys do what Darnell Washington does as a blocker. Oh, you're you're being serious. You really think Baltimore? Yeah. Oh, man. I think I think they have a lot of other, <laughs> a lot of other things to address. Nick Boyle goes up to nine mil on the cap next year. Well, he's, he's gone, but that's why they old. drafted eight million of them in the last two years. Yeah, but none of them are Darnell Washington. I agree, but Baltimore they drafted has a they lot drafted like teams. receiving tight ends because they didn't want to draft wide receivers. Now yeah. you got to go the other way. I mean, Darnell Washington, his yeah, Look, his he's blocking big, alone. Here's the thing. Giants, here's the thing. Giants. Look, Darnell Washington's big enough where you can Ronnie Bass remember the Titans play him both ways. That's all you got to do. Okay, he'll play tight end on offense. He'll play defensive line on defense. There you go. Are you happy? Yes, I I'm happy. Any scenario that gets Darnell Washington in the first round, it's good for the game. Giants could. Uh, I mean, Bellinger's been good. Nah, Bellinger's been good enough. I don't think you're going to do that. He's a tight end, too. Bellinger? Yeah. Sure. So, right? Uh, sure. We'll see. But he's good. What he's else reliable. did we have? Um, Tank Bigsby was somebody you and I were surprisingly low on in the summer. Yeah, I From- felt like I and I have not gone over running Same. backs really Same. a lot since but i feel like he played better this year even from just watching auburn a little bit live i felt like i like because athletic ability and just ability overall never was the issue with tank base it was like 
he loses balance and like run out of control all the time. And I'm like, all right, well, I can't really bet on that if you just don't have good balance and you're, you're running out of control, but it felt like he was more in control this year. Maybe he took the spirit of Cadillac Williams being the interim head coach and just channeled that. I don't know. I, I tank Bigsby is somebody who's going to be high on my list. Once we get back to, to, uh, to running backs. Yeah. I'll have to, um, I'm literally pulling up right now. I remember something we highlighted with him over the summer was that he had four fumbles in 2021. It he looks just felt like, like he he just like was out of control. It just felt yeah. like he was running out of control, like not balanced. You're like not really taking care of the ball the way it just it was just yeah. I he was only lost one this year. I was shocked watching him over the summer because I thought I was going to like his tape more, and I didn't. Yeah, so he'll be a really interesting guy to reevaluate. Obviously, we're going through that process right now with all the edge guys. Um, yeah. and I don't think there was one in, oh, there was one in our, our recent declaration as, uh, Miles Murphy. Oh yeah. Declared. I forgot to, I forgot to add Murphy in here. Yeah. Miles Murphy officially declared once again, this is something that will lead off tomorrow's show very heavily. So, yep. I mean, this, the guys that we thought would leave outside of Olu and Penix are leaving. Simple as that. Yeah. Who's the other one that went back? Okay. Sean. Keyshawn Butte went back, but that was a good, which was, that was a good yes. decision. That was a yes. good decision. He should have done that. Yes. Um, only other ones really Tanner McKee and I haven't gone over McKee's film from this year. Oh, where was it? I had his, I was shocked at some of his PFF stats that I was looking was he at. He sacked right 40 times. Show. I think you tell me. Yeah. Like a billion times. Where did this go? This is what happens when you have 8 million tabs open. Okay. Yeah. 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 All right. Tanner McKee, this past year, better passing grade that he had in 2021, which is encouraging. He had 14 big-time throws to just eight turnover-worthy plays. The year before, he had 17 big-time throws and 15 turnover-worthy plays. So the turnover-worthy play percentage, a lot lower this year. Um, Still didn't eclipse 3,000 yards just because Stanford's offense was booty. Uh, He was sacked 40 times this year. 40. Yikes. Had to scramble 24 times. And my man is not a scrambler. The man no, is six foot six, no. 235. No. That just shows you how bad Stanford's offense was. I think he's going to be fascinating. I don't think McKee's going to like challenge some of the more talented players in this quarterback class, but I do think he's going to be a decent option when it comes to a potential top 50 selection. I think there's going to be some teams that like it. I remember I, I liked his game. Obviously, he was a big, tall dude, had a nice arm, had good velocity on his throws with yep. a smooth passer. The accuracy was the biggest issue going into this season, and his adjusted completion percentage is a point lower than it was the year before, um, which I think is the thing that I will note the most because I remember in summer scouting, what I wrote down as his biggest weakness is like the ball just doesn't go where he wants it sometimes. The ball placement was a big issue for me, so that'll be what I'm looking forward to looking at once we get to um once we get to quarterbacks over the next month and a half here and and maybe he wanted to declare because you know stanford going through all the changes he was probably going to go in the portal portal if he did not declare and this is a Mm -hmm. guy that served a two-year mission in brazil before enrolling at stanford so maybe he just didn't want to be i have his birthday written down so april of 2000 so he'll probably be 22 23 so 23's not bad no, but he probably didn't want to go back and be 24 on the night he was drafted. Yeah, sure. It's something people talk about all the time. It's Hendon Hooker constantly talked about with that. No, Jeff- I, and I, I, I definitely hear what you're saying. I just wonder if what matters more, an extra year of age or you transferring easily now. Let's remember, you easily yeah, you transferring. It's like, you're being, it's like being a free agent. To a better spot. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I'd love to know what feedback he got to um, from the advisory board. You know, because for him to declare, maybe he did get that round three plus kind of advi- advice. That like, I'll hey man, I'll who ask knows? Him. Next time yeah, we please, go to lunch. Thank you. Next time thank we're you. at Panera, I'll I'll ask him. That's where you guys go. The what do they do? Soup and half a sandwich. I'm not uh, a big. I'm not a, the biggest Panera guy. Oh, I'm not either. I'm not either. I was about to make a joke that we, we would go to Panera. I'd order the food. I'd throw it away. And then we just have the conversation just because we're there. Sorry. I, sorry. I bamboozled your bit. It's all right. 
I thought, yeah. you, I thought you were about to, re I swear in my mind, as soon as you said, order the food and throw it, I thought you were going to say, throw it away, but he'd missed the trash bin. No, 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 no. I'm not going to go that hard on him. We're eating Chipotle, wherever it is, whether it's a Panera or whether it's a Chipotle. The Carloftis? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're just they ordering bring the in on, uh, They <laughs> bring the Carloftis in on, on, on the forklift. When you order the Carloftis, they bring a forklift out of the back and bring you the, the quadruple <laughs> rice and quadruple steak. I was getting, The Carloftis was double rice, triple steak, right? That's it? Like no, no veggies? Oh, no, no, no. Yeah, it was all meat and rice. No, it was literally just meat and rice. It was just... I think, right? I think it was double rice, triple meat. Triple steak, by the way. It's triple Best steak, yeah, yeah. Oh, man. Okay, I got it. It came up right away on a Google search. So the Carloftis is triple steak, double white rice, yeah. light cheese. Very light. <laughs> Very light. He sprinkles the cheese. And that's it. There's nothing else in this thing. How did that not... That's something that could get you drafted second overall. That's so psychotic as a pass rusher. I remember tweeting when I saw that the George Karloftis uses Chipotle like diesel fuel in a war tank. <laughs> it's there's true. No, there's no there's no enjoyment in that bowl. No, it's no, simply no. simple carbs, red meat protein, and a little bit of fat with the cheese. Literally. And then when he gets low on gas, it's not an enjoyable experience. It's just okay, let me fuel back up. That's it. Man. That's what it is. All right. What is there we go. That was the show. That was the show for everybody. Uh, we got one more coming up for you this week. Connor and I are going through edge rushers. We are updating our edge rusher ranking. So we haven't done this. We didn't have as much time as we probably would have liked during the during the season. Both of us um, just really busy, obviously, covering a lot of these games. But now is a good time, right? Regular season's over. We got a little bit of downtime between now and uh, the next time the college football games really kick off. So we wanted to update some of our rankings. Edge rusher is a huge position. A lot of people love to talk about. So we're going to go through. We're going to update our edge rankings, and we're going to give you guys our top five players since we've been able to watch them and uh, their 2022 tape. I was going to say it's in, in its entirety, but, I mean, there's some players that are still playing. So I don't know if it's going to be fully in its entirety. But the regular season's over. So we're getting oh, a lot early of rankings, right? I mean, sure. obviously yeah, the the combine. Some guys have some games left, but really the combine and the process as a whole could affect them here. But this is a really good baseline for rankings. Yeah. yeah. So here we, uh, that's a good way to say it. So we're doing that tomorrow. We're going to take a look at uh, edge rusher rankings. Let us know what you thought on this show, where your team is drafted, and what we thought for your team. Let, let us know your thoughts are on the Seattle Seahawks plan that both Connor and I proposed, what we thought about the Arizona Cardinals, whether you think we're spot on, whether you think we're way off, and what you guys think of some of these overall draft prospects that we brought to the table for underclassmen. Uh, we definitely wanted to note this. Super sad of the passing of Mike Leach. Uh, obviously a titan in the football world that affected so many people um and what i love the most about mike leach is that not only was he one of the forefathers of an offense that we still see to this day in high school football and college football and nfl football but he used his success in the game of football to champion so many other great qualities of life he, he was a man who brought so many smiles laughs and just overall joy to so many people's lives and he was a one-of-one one unique individual who was as genuine as they come. And I think that that's something that is certainly worth celebrating as we remember his life. And here on this show, Connor and I hopefully do things in a very genuine way. And I hope that that always comes out in our audio medium and on camera as well. But we like to do this because it allows us to be ourselves. And that is just something that I constantly learned from Mike Leach over and over and over again with every crazy quote, with every crazy press conference, every crazy answer topic and everything. And so just wanted to, to say that we're sending our condolences, our love and our prayers to his family, to the Mississippi State family, to all his friends, his loved ones, everybody that knew him uh, very near and dear. And 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 we lost a, uh, the world lost a great man, but he's somebody who I think that we could take a lot of those lessons from and just make it a better place. So I wanted to make sure that I said that as well. Very well said. Obviously, somebody that it's inspiring how comfortable he was being himself. And oh, yeah. I think in a in a pioneer sense, football has been so, or was, I felt like a very black and white business in a sense of, you know, this is how football is. And at a press conference, this is what you say. And during an interview during the game, this is what you do. And some of that could have bled out to, you know, how podcasting or 
TV shows are covering football and all those things. And I think Leach's personality, you know, like people like you and I, Trevor, kind of inspires us to be comfortable getting off the rails. And mm-hmm. maybe there's that one or two people in the comments or tweeting about it or saying, you know, get to the football. But then there's the other 98% that that's why they come back and tune in because it's just, it's fun. And it, that's what this is all about. And I think Mike Leach did a good job often reminding people that being in the football space is about having fun and yep. being yourself. And if you could do those two things every day, it's a pretty accomplished life. Be fun and be you. Those are two of the best life lessons that you could ever learn from Mike Leach. That's what we're trying to do every single episode on this show. Appreciate you guys for watching. Appreciate you guys for listening. We got one more show. We're updating our edge rushers tomorrow. I'm Trevor Sycamore. That's Connor Rogers. We'll see you then on the NFL Stock Exchange Podcast. Podcast.